0: Welcome to the Weekly Sermon Podcast at the Cowboy Church of Ellis County. Y'all ready for a new year? Ready or not? How many of you like to make mistakes, by the way? How many of you like to make really big mistakes? I don't see so many hands going up on that. I'm going to tell you what, we don't enjoy making mistakes, but I guarantee you all of us do make them. We make little ones and we make big ones. We make private ones and we make public ones. I'll never forget when I was probably, I don't know, 25, 26 years old. Hard to remember. But I was uh, driving a truck in the middle of Odessa area. Now, I don't know. I hadn't been to the middle of Odessa in quite a few years. Don't know how many times you've ever been there, if ever. But I-20 runs between Midland and Odessa. And what I can tell you is that when you're leaving Odessa heading towards uh, Midland, if you happen to miss one of your exits there as you're leaving Odessa, it's going to be quite a long ways before you're going to be able to turn around and go back to Odessa. It's a long ways. Now when I was driving a truck, time was money and money was time, and so one day I missed my exit leaving Odessa, and I got very frustrated about that because I didn't want to lose all of that time, and so I said to myself, self, I think I can cut across this median and get over there, and it'll just be fine. Well, I cut out into that median with that truck, and it had a real long overhang behind the back dualies on it, and and whenever I... I went through the low spot, that rear end of that truck just caught on the high spot, and there I was. I had my rear tires kind of suspended in midair, right there in the median on I-20 with the company name emblazoned on the side of the truck. There, wasn't, there was absolutely no way it was leaving there, not under its own power, and there was no way that you could hide the mistake. Everybody in the world was going to know you made it, and so there it was. And I had to get a tow truck and get it towed out and all of that sort of stuff. Well, I will tell you that's just a, a little mistake in my life. I, I'm really surprised in a lot of ways that I even remember that mistake because on the list of mistakes I made, it, it doesn't rate up there very high. In fact, many of the mistakes that I have made, the big mistakes, are are mistakes that have so much shame in them, uh, so much hurt in them, that I don't want to share them with you or anybody else. And I imagine if you look at your own life, you have some of those same kind of things in your life, mistakes that you don't really want to think about or share with anybody. Well... We're in 2019, and as I said, I'm sure that all of us are going to make some mistakes this year. As a matter of fact, some of the mistakes that some of you are going to make are going to be real doozies. Some of you are going to make some mistakes that are going to change the direction of your life. Some of you are going to make mistakes that are going to uh, have a negative impact on your Psychological profile for the rest of your days, and I wish that that weren't true. But I, I just know from experience that it is. There are going to be moments that you're going to walk into that you're going to look back with regret and, and wish that you could have a do-over. Wish you could do them again. By the way, you know, sometimes I hear people say, "Well, you know what? I, I've lived a good life. I don't really have any regrets." And what I would say is anybody that can get towards the end of their life and say that they don't have any regrets, they're just not very self-reflective people. Because I cannot imagine for the life of me getting to the end of my life and not wishing that there were some plays that I had to do over again. Because there's a lot of things that I would do differently. So, anyway... I've made my share of mistakes, you've made your share of mistakes. And, and whenever I look back on my mistakes, one of the things that I see is that I always had a, a reason or a justification for every one of them that I made. A lot of mistakes I made, you know, like getting the truck caught in the medium made out of frustration. I was just frustrated about something. Some mistakes I have made, I've made because of anger. Something didn't go the way that I thought that it should or someone didn't do something that I thought that they should and it bothered me and it upset me and I got angry about it and I said something I shouldn't have said or did something I shouldn't have did and then I couldn't take it back. Some of the big mistakes that I've made in my life have been made because I was afraid. I was either afraid something was going to happen to me Or that I was going to lose something. And because I was afraid, I made some kind of boneheaded decision in that moment. Either I didn't say something that I should have said, or I said something that I should not have said. But but you know how those things go. I did it because I was trying to protect myself at the time. It seemed perfectly defensible. There are some mistakes that I have made in my life that I made because I was proud. Moments whenever I didn't say something or do something because I was very concerned with how it would look to others and how I would be perceived and how it would affect my reputation. Churches, by the way, can make those kinds of mistakes. Some of the ugliest mistakes that I have seen churches as a whole make have been mistakes that they have made trying to protect their reputation rather than doing that which was right. So there's all kinds of justifications for the mistakes that we made. But as I look at the mistakes that I have made, whatever you want to say about them, whether they were made out of anger or fear or pride or some other motivation, there is a common thread that runs through all of them. And the common thread that I find running through all of them is that of selfishness. And by selfishness, I simply mean this. I I wanted things to be convenient for me. I wanted things to work out the best for me. And and whenever something came along that frustrated that, whenever something came along that was inconvenient for me, or something came along that wasn't the best for me, then then I got into this mistake-driven mode, and I did things that I shouldn't have done. Well, I'm going to tell you something, guys. Most of the big mistakes that you will make in 2019 will be much the same. They will be driven, your big mistakes, by selfishness. Now, you're not going to see that at the time. When you're in the process of making those mistakes, you're not going to see it as as you acting selfishly. You're going to see it in terms of you pursuing your own happiness. You're going to see it in terms of you just putting your life in order and doing things in such a way that, that it works out for your own happiness. I mean, I want you to think about this for a minute. I've I've been in the pastoring business now for something over 30 years. And, and what I have observed is that the biggest train wrecks that people make in their lives, they make while they are pursuing. Their own happiness. Think about that. Why do people have affairs? Sure. I mean, don't I have a right to be happy? My wife's not making me happy or my husband's not making me happy. But here's somebody over here that might make me happy. Don't I have a right to be happy? And they pursue it. And then there is an affair. Why do people divorce? Very much the same reason. I'm not saying that there's not justification sometimes in divorce. People get into abusive, untenable situations and I get that, but there are an awful lot of divorces. Brother Rick listed them one time in a Bible study that he did and it just blew me away the reasons that people got divorced. One of them that sticks out in my mind is someone divorced their husband because they didn't like the sound that he made when he blew his nose. And it finally just got so irritating to them over time that they just couldn't stand it anymore. And if they had to live with that, they just weren't going to. Well, a lot of people do get divorced for not very solid reasons, but it all has to do with their happiness. Why do people abuse other people? Why does someone hit their wife or why does someone abuse their children? Usually, typically, it is because... They want their wife to do a certain thing or they want their child to behave in a certain way. And whenever those people don't behave in the way that they want them to behave, it makes them unhappy. And so they abuse them with the hopes of changing that behavior so that the behavior of that other person will then make them happy. I'm telling you what, this deal of of happiness, it, it undergirds so many things. Why do people fight? Many times we get into arguments and quarrels and disagreements because of something that we're unhappy about. As a matter of fact, I would say to you, James chapter 4 nails it just about perfectly if you want to turn there. James chapter 4, it's going to be more towards the back of your Bible. James chapter 4, beginning at verse 1, we're not going to read too much of this passage. I think it'll be one that you have probably encountered before. James chapter 4 beginning verse 1 says, "What, What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have. So you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you go out and you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have because... You don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You only want what will give you pleasure. You only want what will make you happy. What causes quarrels and fights among you? Well, you're not happy with your lot in life. But you see someone else that has those things that you want and so you begin to to squabble and quarrel with them hoping to get from them what you yourself don't have. That's what James says. I would say to you this morning that most of the self-destructive behavior that we see going on around us is directly related to people not being happy. Why do people go out and get drunk? Why do people get addicted to drugs so that they have to have those drugs to function. What, what lies behind that? Most of the time there is a life disappointment there. Something has happened in their life that is displeasing to them, something they didn't plan, something they don't like, something they can't change, something that won't work out. They are unhappy and now they are self-medicating, trying to dull the unhappiness that they feel. Why do people commit suicide, I'm going to tell you something, there is rarely a year that this church staff doesn't deal with a suicide. It's not always in our immediate church family, and I praise the Lord for that, but it's connected to our church family. And why do they come about? Why do people commit suicide? I'm going to tell you the truth. 99% of the time, it is because they have written for themselves a life script And they have said, this is how I want my life to go. Because if my life goes this way, then I will be happy and everything will be good. Now, that life script can be different for everyone. One person's life script might say, you know what, I'm going to go out and and I'm going to pour my life into my work and I'm going to make a lot of money and I'm going to do well and I'm going to get to the place where I can enjoy life. And then all of a sudden, they get to be about my age, maybe in their late 50s or early 60s. And they have worked hard all of their life. And they have had a lot of successes but all of a sudden there is a financial reversal of some kind and everything that they have hoped for, all of a sudden it it is like the rug is pulled out from under them and all of their dreams vanish overnight and they say, man, my life, my dream has disappeared and I don't want to live anymore. Sometimes a young man or a young woman takes their life because their life script says, well, I have found this person that will make me happy. But then one day that person says to them, I don't love you anymore, or I don't want to be with you anymore, and, and their script is destroyed. And they say, well, if this is not going to be my life script, then I don't want to live anymore. It all has to do with with, with unhappiness. I saw, as a matter of fact, this past uh, maybe in the past 10 days or so, I think the single most senseless thing I have ever seen. Uh, it happened in Abilene. It was picked up by the Fort Worth Star-Telegram. And uh, it was about a a murder that took place in an alley. and And the murder happened this way. A gentleman and his wife bought some new mattresses for their children. And they took a twin mattress and they t- took it out and put it in the dumpster. And one of their neighbors was very unhappy that someone put a twin mattress in the dumpster. So they took the twin mattress out of the dumpster, and they knew which neighbor put it there, and so they flipped it back over into the neighbor's yard. And so the neighbor walked out, and he saw the mattress in his yard, and he said, well, I'm not going to, you know, put up with that. So he takes the mattress, and what does he do with it? He puts it back in the dumpster. Well, the next day, the man is out in his yard playing with his children and, and the gentleman who took the bed out of the dumpster comes out again and he takes the bed out of the dumpster and he flips it over into the guy's yard. Now this guy's a big man. He's like Big owl over there. He, he, hadn't had, uh, he hadn't had a whole lot of people stand toe-to-toe with him and give him those kind of issues and he was pretty, he was pretty upset about that. And so he went out to confront the gentleman who had, who had uh, taken the, the uh, bed out of the dumpster. And he said, you going to go over there and you're going to put that bed right back in that dumpster. And the guy said, no, sir, I'm sure not going to do that. And they began to get argumentative and it got a little heated. And the gentleman who had taken the bed out of the dumpster all of a sudden produced a pistol. And the next thing you know, his son is coming out with a shotgun. And the big man, who is angry and upset, he's still hollering and, and saying, you're going to take this bed back. And, and the guy said, no, I'm not going to take the bed back. And the big man's trying to bully him, and the other guy's standing their their ground. And, and one of the gentlemen pulls out a pistol. And it winds up that this guy who took the bed out of the dumpster, shoots the big man four times, and his son empties the shotgun on him, and he lays dead in the alley. Why? Because someone was unhappy over some fool putting a twin mattress in a dumpster. Those things happen. It's a strange, strange thing. Guys, the the pursuit of happiness is a big deal to us. It's such a big deal that I don't know if you're aware of it or not, but we've actually incorporated it into some of our founding documents. See if this doesn't sound familiar to you. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights. Among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish it and to institute new government laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such forms as to them shall seem most likely to effect their safety and happiness." Right in our founding documents, happiness was something so central to human nature that it was incorporated in that. It's been enshrined in some of the most uh, dear things that we hold in our country. Yet, as we have already seen, within this desire to have happiness are the seeds of our own destruction. As a matter of fact, John Calvin wrote it this way. He said, consulting our self-interest is the pestilence that most effectively leads to our destruction. That's pretty fancy language. Let me say it slower. Consulting our self-interest, pursuing our happiness, its another way to say it. Consulting our self-interest is the pestilence. What's a pestilence? You know, if you've got a house full of rats, that's a pestilence. If you got a house full of roaches, that's a pestilence. He said, this is the pestilence that most effectively leads to our destruction. And yet, it seems like this desire to have happiness is kind of hardwired into us, doesn't it? I mean, you can go back to the Garden of Eden. Even before sin began, it seemed like there was this desire in the human heart to pursue happiness. I want you to look, if you will, this morning at Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Story of Adam and Eve in the garden. Seems like as long as there have been people, people have always been about maximizing or optimizing their life in such a way that everything works out the best for them, and, and that they have every possible benefit. It says, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat fruit from any of these trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it, because if you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. And the woman was convinced, and she saw that the tree was beautiful, and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom that it would give her, so she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. And at that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness, so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. How is it that Eve got focused on that fruit? Because Satan came along, and he said, you know, things are okay. Things are okay, how they're going in the garden, but uh, man, that, that, Fruit right there that God has forbidden you to eat from, that's something that could really make you happy. You could become like God. You could gain wisdom from it, and the woman began to look at the fruit, and it was beautiful, and it looked delicious, and she wanted wisdom, and she thought, man, if I could just have that, I would be happy. Now, never mind the fact that God had prohibited it. But she had this this desire for happiness in her heart. And so she partook of the fruit, hoping that it would give her what she wanted. But in fact, all it did was wreck her life and alienate her from her Heavenly Father. So we look at that situation and and we see that this, this heart desire took her to a bad place. And yet I would say to you, God must have put that drive for happiness in her heart or she wouldn't have had it. God must have put within each one of us the desire to be happy or we wouldn't desire it. And so the desire for happiness is a part of what it means to be human. human. But one of the things that we need to understand is that when we elevate our desire to be happy above everything else, this desire for happiness becomes a cruel taskmaster that takes us places that we never thought we would go. will want you to look at Luke chapter 12, verse 16. What we can wind up doing in the pursuit of happiness is sometimes we can waste away our days and we get to the end of our life or we get late in life and we figure out that everything that we have invested ourselves in doesn't amount to anything, that we've wasted everything. And in Luke chapter 12, verse 16, we have the parable of the barns. Luke chapter 12, verse 16. Then he told them a story, he being Jesus. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. And he said to himself, What should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Now there's a life script. There's a life script. But God said to him, verse 20, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything that you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. This guy had this life script. He worked hard all of his life, so much so that he accumulated a lot of stuff. He didn't know what to do with all of it, but he said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to build me some big barns. I'll be able to store all of this stuff and live off of it as time goes by, and I can just sit back and take life easy. And God said to him, you fool." because you're not gonna live long enough to enjoy what you have poured your life into getting. I've seen that repeated over and over and over again through the years. Remember in a small town uh, that I used to travel through quite a bit, there was a gentleman there and he, he opened a little grocery store and it was a pretty successful little grocery store in that town and he was a hard worker and he would be at that store long before the crack of dawn, four or five o'clock every morning. uh, He ran the meat counter himself. He did all the butchering. The, The meat would come in by the half. The beef would come in by the half. He would do all the butchering himself. He had everything ready for when the store opened up every morning. And, of course, he was also the last one to leave every night. And he put those hours in for years and years and years because just like this man, he had a life script. He had a vision. I'm going to work hard, I'm I'm going to put back what I need, and and then whenever I get to a certain point in life, I don't know what it was, what age he had in mind, but I'm going to get to a certain point in life, and me and my wife were just going to take it easy. And then one day he had a heart attack when he opened up the store, and, and that was the end of him, and he didn't get to enjoy any of the things that he worked for. I think that a lot of us have that kind of capability. We are all capable of pursuing a life script that will take us nowhere. We have within our hearts the desire for happiness and contentment but we can't seem to lay hold of it. What, what's the answer to this dilemma? See, the problem is we want happiness, but many times we don't know what it is that's going to make us happy. And so we pursue all different manner of things, but but they're always a dead end. And what I would say to you this morning, guys, is there is one simple truth that can set us free from this. One simple truth. As a matter of fact, if you have kiddos this morning over in children's church, they're being taught this simple truth that I'm teaching you this morning. Uh, Matt has come up with 52 truths that he wants our kids to know and he's going to try him and Raquel are going to try to teach it over the course of a year and I would say to you as parents, many of us are pretty biblically illiterate in our world today and if you feel that you might be one of those, you would do well to follow along with what your kids are learning in children's church this year. But what they're learning in children's church this morning is this, it involves a question and an answer. The question is, what is our only hope in life and death? And the answer is that we are not our own, but belong body and soul, both life and death, to God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. What is our only hope in life? Our only hope in life is to discover that we're not our own, that we were bought at a price, that we don't live to ourselves alone. As a matter of fact, if you'll look at Romans chapter 14, and this is the Bible verse I think your children are going to be given this morning as well, Romans chapter 14, verse 7, Paul writes this, he says, for we don't live to or die for ourselves. If we live, it's to honor the Lord, and if we die, it's to honor the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. If we live, we belong to the Lord. If we die, we belong to the Lord. The purpose of our life is to serve and honor the Lord. I'm going to tell you something. If we could embrace that one truth, if we could memorize that, if we could hold on to that, that would do so much to keep us from pursuing things that will destroy us or making, or making mistakes that we wish we hadn't made. Or, God forbid, even getting to the end of our life and looking back over our life and saying, Well, how about that? I wasted it. I got it wrong. Paul's life, guys, is a a good picture of someone who understood that he didn't live for himself alone. Paul understood from the moment that he met Christ on the road to Damascus that, that his heart had to belong to God. That from the time that God poured out His grace on him, he was so thankful for what Christ had done for him on the cross and so thankful that God had extended His mercy to him. That Paul said, I no longer can, can live life just for me. From this point on, I've got to live my life for the Lord. And so he writes in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, he says, My old self has been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Paul said, it's no longer I that live. He said, I'm trying more and more to put myself and my interest to death, and I'm trying more and more to let the interest of God and the interest of Christ, as it is spoken into my heart by the Holy Spirit, he said, I'm trying to let those things come to life and live. He said, I'm no longer living for my agenda and my purposes and my desires, but from this point forward, I am living for God and God's will and God's desires. And we know that that is a good interpretation of how Paul felt because as we read through the various letters that he wrote, Paul writes again and again about being a bond servant, about being a slave of Christ. Let's just look very quickly at two or three of them. We're in Romans right now. Look at Romans chapter 1, verse 1. I want you to just see it with your own little peepers this morning. Romans chapter 1, verse 1. This is the opening of his letter to the Romans, and he says, This letter is from Paul. In my version, it says, Slave. In yours, it may say, Bondservant. In some, it may just say, Servant. But the word is Bondservant. This letter is from Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach the good news. Look at Galatians chapter 1 verse 10. We're just going to move towards the back of the Bible, so just keep, keep heading that way. Galatians chapter 1 verse 10. Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, Paul says, Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. Again, your version may say slave, or it may say bondservant, but the word is bondservant. If I were trying to please people, I wouldn't be God's bondservant. Let's look at Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. I actually have several more written down, but I think we'll pause it right here. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. He says this letter is from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Jesus Christ. Paul consistently understood himself as existing to serve God and to pursue God's ends rather than his own. Now, in our flesh and in our humanity, we would probably think that this would make Paul a little bit resentful that this would make Paul a little bit bitter, that, that Paul would chafe under this a little bit. I mean, after all, if we're asked to lay down our interest for somebody else and to live in a way that we would rather not live, if we feel like we're not able to pursue the goals and dreams and aspirations that we have, if something is standing between us and that, it makes us kind of resentful. And we might think, man, Paul must be resentful because he's having to lay down everything he wants in order to serve the Lord. But in fact, serving God had the opposite effect. I want you to look at Philippians, since we're already there. Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. I'll back up to verse 10 to give context. Philippians chapter 4 verse 10. How I praise the Lord that you're concerned about me again. This is Paul writing to the church at Philippi. How I praise the Lord that you're concerned about me again. I know you've also always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Paul said, I've learned the secret of being content in every situation. Think about that. I am content in every situation. I'm content whether I'm well fed. I am content Even if I'm hungry, I'm content when I'm clothed. I'm content when I'm naked. What does it mean to be content? On Sundays, I usually leave church 12.30, somewhere between 12.30 and 1.30. And by the time I get out to the, my house, if it's a typical day, now there's exceptions to this, but if it's a typical day, by the time I get out to my house, just like today, it's probably going to be 65, 70 degrees. Summer times would be a little bit warmer than that. But, you know, typically about that time of day, it's not too chilly and it hadn't gotten too blazing hot yet. And so I usually pull up to my house after church and I look out at the pasture. You know what all the cows are doing? Come on, you guys that have cows. What are they doing? They're, they're laying around on the ground, and they're just chewing their cut. And the horse is much the same way. He's just, he's just flopped out. on It's nap time. I mean, I, pull up, I mean, it's almost invariable. When I pull up to the gate after church, I mean, the, the, the cows are scattered all over the place, and they're just laying there chewing their cud, just taking life easy. They've already got their bellies full. The sun is shining, and it's warm, but not too hot yet, and they're laying there, and they're saying, man, life is just okay. This, this is okay. That's what it is to be content. And Paul said, I've learned to be content in all kinds of situations. And the way that Paul got there is not by pursuing his own happiness, but he got there by realizing that he was not his own. That he belonged, body and soul, both in life and death, to God and to his Savior, Jesus Christ. And here's the deal, guys. It seems like... That whenever we try to pursue happiness for happiness' sake, it always eludes us. And yet, if we would pursue God and live for Him, the happiness and contentment that we long for in our heart often comes to us as a result of our pursuit of God. I think that's the very reason that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, among other places, he said, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. In other words, you want to go out and pursue your own agenda and do your own thing, that's a sure way to lose your life. But if you want to lay your life down for my sake and pursue me, then you will find your life. Then you will find your life. The biggest mistakes that are going to be made in 2019 are going to be made by people who are pursuing their own happiness. The biggest mistakes in 2019 are going to be made by people who are determined to have life on their terms. The greatest happiness, on the other hand, ironically, is going to be found by people who recognize that they are not their own, but that they belong to God. They've been bought at a price. I'm going to tell you the truth. I think God wants us to be happy. I do. I believe that's why he placed this desire for happiness in the hearts of every human being. But God will never let us lay hold of happiness for happiness sake. He will never let us be happy by the pursuit of things or by the pursuit of pleasure or by the pursuit of our own agenda. Do you know why? Because that's idolatry. And idolatry always leads to destruction. And so really, as we start out this new year, we we have two paths and two options before us. One of them is to pursue life on our own terms and to pursue happiness and make that the center of everything and be enslaved to idolatry. Or we can live for God and allow Him to fill our hearts With joy and contentment. Now I don't know if joy and contentment is the exact same thing as happiness or not. But I know one thing. It's richer and it's better and it's more fulfilling. These are the only two paths open to us. And my question for you this morning is which path are you going to pursue in 2019? Let's pray together. Lord God, we come before you this morning in Jesus' name. We thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the power of your spirit. We even thank you, Father God, for the hunger in our heart that longs for that peace, joy, and contentment. Lord God, I pray that you've spoken a word this morning that that, um, is a spirit-empowered reminder that if we truly want to find Peace and joy. If we truly even want to lay hold of happiness, there's only one place to get it, and that is in pursuing you and your will for our lives. Lord, I just look at Paul's life and how rich his life was, and what a legacy he left behind, and how he got to the end of his life and said, I fought the good fight. I have kept the faith. I had finished the race and he was able to say things that way because he had pursued you with all of his heart and his soul and his mind. Lord, I pray that you will help us to do the same. Help us to evaluate every day and just help us to evaluate not only our days but what we do and ask ourselves the question, are we pursuing happiness for happiness sake? Are we trying to serve the Lord? Father God, help us to be honest in our answers. Help us to be repentant if the answer is wrong. Help us, Father God, to learn to say with Paul that I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Lord, we lift this up to you this morning in Jesus' name. and For his sake, amen. For this sermon and many more, check out our website at www.cowboyfaith.org.